If you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to be in, uh, reading verses 15 to 23. Please stand for the reading of God's word. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, or the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints." And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You may be seated. Merciful Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. We ask that you would bless the preaching of thy great word. We ask, Lord, that you'd fill our hearts and our minds with the scriptures this morning and receive uh, that which you've laid before us. And we pray, God, that you would uh, be magnified and glorified in, in our time and worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, indeed, we have a Savior who is risen, who, is, who has conquered death and Hades, who is at the right hand of God the Father. And as a result of that truth, today's message is going to center around the authority of Christ. That this Jesus that we know, this Jesus that we worship, on whom uh, we give our uh, life and our time and our adoration, that this Jesus is worthy and he is authoritative. He's authoritative because of who he is intrinsically. He's also authoritative in what he has accomplished. He's also authoritative in that he was given a great authority from his Father. And so today's sermon from Ephesians chapter 19, we're going to be in um, chapter 1, verses 19 to 23 this morning as our main text. And again, in verse 19, it begins with, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? Paul is continuing his petition and request to the Lord for the Ephesian church. Notice again what it begins to say in verse uh, 16. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then he gives us a taste of what his prayers were in regard to the Ephesian church. In verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father and the, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Paul is demonstrating the appeal, the prayer that he is making on behalf of the Ephesian church. 
And he continues that petition and request to the Lord for the Ephesian church. And his request is not, notice what it's not. His request is not that they receive more power from God in order to continue in their faithfulness to the gospel. But instead the request is for the Ephesian believers to know or recognize the power of God toward those who believe. What a marvelous reminder that is. You know, often in our Christianity, uh, we, we see individuals and we hear preachers who uh, try to unlock some hidden power or mystery of God in the Scriptures. And they say, well, you, you will receive more power if you do this. You'll receive more power if you believe this. You'll receive more power if you read this. The reality is, what Paul is bringing out through the inspired text to the Ephesian church is what we see in verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who get things right, toward those who have the right incantation, toward those who have uh, the right uh, uh, set of mindsets or doctrines. It's those towards who believe. This immeasurable greatness of his power is for those who believe. You know, there, there are some movements in Christianity as well that teach that uh, uh, later on, after your initial conversion, there is more power or anointing that can be received from God. But as you know, the truth is, is that God has given you everything that you require for life and for holiness at the moment that he turned you from a child of darkness to a child of light. He has given you everything necessary that you need the moment that he regenerated you, that he gave you a new heart. And as long as you walk in him and you acknowledge his sovereignty in your life, God will continue to empower you with that same power that raised you from spiritual depravity and from the grave. And he will continue to work that in you, that which is pleasing in his sight. And so I want you to know this morning, church, that the power of God is available to you. If you're following along in the insert for today's teaching, in God's salvation work, he is demonstrating his great power. God is demonstrating his power in the salvation of his people. When God saved you, you know what God was doing? Not only was he saving a wretch, but he was demonstrating his power in that he is changing that wretched sinner, changing his inward being, his inward parts, to be transformed, completely regenerated through the finished work of Jesus Christ. In that God is providing an example of his great power. His great power. We think of today's world and the conflicts that exist therein. And we see these great powers, these military powers, these governmental powers, and all that they can do with their military might. But you know one thing they cannot do? They don't have the power to change the human heart. You have, uh, in the world stage, you have world leaders saying this person's wrong, that person's wrong, and this person needs to be removed, or that person needs to be removed. And they're trying to use their military might to demonstrate their superiority. Well, you know what? God demonstrates his superiority by saving us and changing the heart. 
all of the issues that the world leaders are facing today could be only resolved by the changing of the human heart. And no military power has the power to change that. Only the Lord God Almighty. And so God is able to change the human heart, demonstrating his great power and might. I want you to write that in there as well. He is demonstrating his power and might. Notice again what verse 19 says. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. The Greek, the Greek word used here for power is dynamis, from which we get the word dynamite. This is a dynamic, explosive power. And this power is made available to those who believe. If you believe in Christ this morning, God has given you a, a wellspring of power to do that which he has commanded us. One of the distinctions between the old and new covenants is the fact that God has now written his law, his covenant on our hearts so that we can now obey and partake in the glorious law of the Lord God. Not that we have a license to do that which is wrong and to sin, but rather we have a license now to do that which is right. That is the power of the Lord God working in the hearts of the believers. God is working in us through his dynamis, his power, his dynamic power. In order, and he's doing it in order to uh, highlight his power, in order to highlight all the strength that we require is found only in him. All the strength, all the fitness that the believer requires is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So that you know that the power that God gives isn't for you to use in a way that is grandiose and to bring you the glory, but rather God empowers his saints in order to bring him the glory. For the believer's heart and mindset is changed from self-glory for self-pleasure to now bringing glory and fame to another, namely Jesus Christ our Lord. And because of this power that God gives, uh, we, we, we can walk with confidence, walking in the power of his might to do that which is right. Now when we lack power in our lives, we need not look for so-called secrets in order to unleash some hidden power from within or from God, but simply recognize this truth, brothers and sisters, that the moment that God adopted you, he gave you the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Just in a couple of weeks, we'll be celebrating the resurrection as we do every Lord's Day. You know, the Easter celebration or the Resurrection Sunday is not just the only day of the, uh, of the year in which we get to recognize and worship the risen Savior. We recognize his authority and his sovereignty every day, and especially when we gather on the Lord's Day. Amen? But we also recognize that the same spirit, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in you to bring your dead spirit from the grave into immortality. Now, this power that I speak of is not ours, but it is God's working in us according to his great might. The Greek word that's used here for the word working is energia, which is where we get the word energy from. 
So the word working is related to the word energy or, or basically exerting energy or exerting work. Reminding us that it is God's energizing work of the Holy Spirit that is empowering the believer to be more than just conquerors. You see, what God supplies through his Spirit is this power, this work in us so that he gets the glory. The Christian doesn't get power so that he can show off and, and show God what a great person he is. Rather, he enables us by his spirit working in us. It is his power, his energizing work, working in and through you, the believer, the saint. The text also re, uh, uh, uses the term might, which is the Greek word kratos, uh, which can also be translated as uh, strength in different translations. And that distinctive attribute of divine nature is often praised in the New Testament doxologies, for, such as 1 Timothy 6.16, 1 Peter 4.11, uh, Jude 25, Revelation 1.6, Revelation 5.13. You see all these doxologies praise and remind us of the might of, the strength of our God. Now, why is it important that we are reminded of God's strength, of God's might? Well, because the reality is, though, although I'm preaching to you this morning about God's power and authority, sometimes in life, even as Christians, we may feel powerless. We may feel like we have no strength, like we can't accomplish that which God has asked of us. Like we can't even get through our home life. Like our marriages may be crumbling and our children are suffering and we find ourselves sometimes in the, in, in, in the reality of life that life is difficult and oftentimes we feel powerless. And friends, I want you to know this morning that God is able to empower you and he has empowered you. Recognize that sometimes in life you're going to have these two uh, realities that are going to clash. This is a, 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 uh, a reality that says I am weak, I am poor, I am needy. Yet also this reality which says of us also that in Christ we are rich, fulfilled, and empowered. And those two are not always necessarily just in conflict but also they need to be reconciled in that we need to believe what God says about our condition. We need to believe what God says about our situation and not succumb to that which we see with our eyes or that which we experience with our senses, but rather trust and have faith in God and not put our faith in that which is seen, but that which is unseen. For that which is seen is temporary. Can I tell you that all of your problems... Your marital problems, your financial problems, your issues with your health, your issues with your children, your issues at work are temporary. They're all temporary. And they're fleeting according to God's word. Do you not know that you yourself are but a vapor, a mist that's here for one moment and then gone the next? Do you not recognize this about yourselves, dear brothers and sisters? That though you may live in this world, you are not of this world? Recognize also this important fact, brothers and sisters, that though life is difficult and life is hard and there are things that have to be overcome, you are called to be an overcomer. You are called to be more than just conquerors through him who loved us and who called us according to his purpose. And that 
which God calls us to, he will empower us to do and fulfill for his great glory and fame. Isn't it amazing that in our faith, God gets all the glory. God gets all the glory. Because it's his power. It's his might working in you. It's not your might. It's not your power. And it's often in those times in life where we succumb to the temptation of doing things in our own strength, in our own power. That's when we see the walls of our own kingdom begin to crumble. When we begin to use our strength, our power, our thinking ability, our prowess in order to accomplish the things that God has called us to. You know, the Bible makes us point very clearly that, that oftentimes we, we see the pitfalls in society today, even amongst preachers. Uh, you know, if you've been watching the news, the, uh, the main pre, uh, pastor of the Hillsong group, uh, if you guys are familiar with, with the Hillsong music, uh, a, a church that started in Australia, the founding pastor uh, stepped down uh, due to scandals and um, questionable behaviors. And one of the things that the scripture is very clear about is that God is calling you to have character, to have the character of Christ, to have the character that God supplies through the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes we elevate individuals who have a natural gifting. No doubt the founding pastor of the Hillsong Church is a gifted speaker. No doubt is he gifted in many areas of life. But gifting cannot be exalted over character. One must have the character, the mind of Christ. And it's often amongst those who have that character, that godly character, that we see them not fall into the pitfalls of the world and of scandal and salacious news cycles. This is all done only in the strength that God supplies you see in the burden of Paul's prayer is that the mighty power of God may be known and experienced by its operation in us who believe, thus pointing us to the authority by which this power is accessible, namely Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to turn to Ephesians 1.20 with me, and it says in that text that he, referring to the great power, the immeasurable greatness of his power, according to his great might, that he, God the Father, worked in Christ, God the Son, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Praise God. You see, God is demonstrating his great power and he's, he, he's bringing everything uh, to bear in the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. I want you to write that in there if you're following along in today's teaching. God demonstrated this power uh, by Christ's resurrection and ascension. Notice the text again, verse 20, that he worked in Christ. This immeasurable greatness of his power was manifested, was made clear, was made known to us. By what means? He says, in Christ, when he raised them from the dead, referring to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. So great is the resurrection of Christ that the power of God is made known and magnified. I want you to turn, if you can, to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We see Paul in verse 3 to 4 of chapter 1 of Romans 
verses 3 and 4, he says the following concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. God demonstrated his great power and his great might by raising Jesus from the dead and seating him at his right hand. God declared Jesus the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, demonstrating or in other ways saying that this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. That Jesus is indeed the one that was sent by God, empowered by God, and is setting the template and model for us as Christians to follow. I want you, if you can, turn to one more text in, in Acts chapter 2. Following that same line of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, notice what the early Christians declared about Christ's resurrection in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 32. Yes, this is the apostle Peter proclaiming this great Pentecost message. And he says, this Jesus, God raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses. Therefore, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. God is demonstrating his great power by raising Jesus from the dead. You know, the, the Jews who were opposed to Christ, they thought that by killing the man, they would kill the movement. They thought by killing the man, they would solve the problem of this false messiah. But instead, they were doing what God had put in their hearts to do because Jesus was ordained before time to be a propitiation for our sins, a ransom sacrifice that would provide for us an eternal salvation. And God demonstrated his power and authority even over the unbelieving Jews by using them to bring Jesus, our Savior, to the cross. And that through the cross, he purchased a people for God by every tribe, nation, and tongue. God's power and salvation is threefold. Number one, he demonstrated his power in the weakness of Christ's death on the cross. Though to human eyes, Jesus' death could have been seen as a defeat by, uh, by his nailing to the cross, yet the New Testament writers saw this, the, the, the crucifixion of Christ, the raising of Christ on the cross over the city. The New Testament writers saw this as a victory for Christ over the powers of darkness, demonstrating God's power over sin and darkness. So one of the things that God accomplishes in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that he, he elevates Christ over all the powers and principalities, over all the, the demonic forces of darkness that would be raised up against the knowledge of Christ and of God. Notice again what it says in verse 20 of Ephesians 1 in our main text. He worked in Christ according uh, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand 
in the heavenly places. And Peter, on that Pentecost message, hearkens back to Psalm 110, where it says in that prophetic psalm, that the Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. They were proclaiming this truth that Jesus was, uh, though he was murdered and was placed in a tomb, he has been resurrected from the dead. He now is not only resurrected, but this is, he's also ascended to the right hand of the Father where he is now living and ruling and interceding on our behalf. Isn't that marvelous? That's why Peter could say to the Jews who were listening to him that the house of Israel can know this for a certainty that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Messiah, Christ. God has demonstrated his immeasurable power by raising Jesus from the dead, putting him at his right hand, demonstrating God's power over sin and darkness. Number two, the second thing that God demonstrates through the resurrection and through the power of God unto salvation is this, that God demonstrated his immeasurable power by raising Jesus uh, from the dead to a glorified and incorruptible state. Throughout scripture, we see times in which people are raised from the dead. But what's, what makes Jesus' resurrection unique is that Jesus' resurrection is not just onto another form of human life or existence where, they, where again, he could die or perish, but instead, Christ was raised again bodily from the grave to life incorruptible. That which was mortal, namely the flesh, has now put on immortality. And that is setting the template for us as well as Christians. That though the flesh may fail us, and though one day there's appointed for man to die and face the judgment... Uh, we will certainly die in this flesh unless the Lord Jesus comes back in glory before then. But truly, we look forward to a resurrection of the dead, to a body of incorruptible status, just like unto the Lord Jesus Christ and his incorruptible status and body. Well, that, well, can, can you just imagine for a second what that day will be like? First and foremost, when we see him face to face, in all that he is, in all the glory that, 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 uh, that is rightfully his, in the day in which he will transform our lowly existence and our lowly bodies to be transferred and resurrected likened unto his glorious body. Words fail to describe how amazing that day will be. And we so look forward to it. The third way in which God demonstrated his power in the resurre resurrection of Christ and the salvation of his people is that he, uh, by the working of God's power, again, is seen in the ascension of Christ far above all rulers, showing that Jesus is God's chosen and appointed representative and the head of all things. It is by Jesus' perfect obedience in ministry of the cross and in his resurrection and ascension that the Father vindicates his Son by bestowing the name that is above all names, showing that the power and the authority of the Godhead rest now fully in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is shown to be magnified, glorified, and ascended over all of his enemies. And remember that when you face trials and tribulations, when you find yourself in, in a place of great difficulty, when you feel like you have no power left, recognize 
who it is that reigns above the heavens. Look no further than heaven itself and know that your strength comes from there. It reminds me of the psalmist in Psalm 121. From where shall my help come from? I shall lift up my eyes to the mountains and find that my help is from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. When you find yourself struggling, just look up to heaven and know that there's a God who supplies all of your strength. All of the power that is required is found in Jesus. May you look to him for all that you need, for he has supplied it richly through the Spirit of God. Now, what's interesting about this language of the Lord's ascension, regarding the Lord's ascension, should we imagine it as, a, um, as Christ somewhere invisibly in the, in the clouds above us? Uh, not necessarily, that's not the, the point of the language, but as John Calvin uh, points out uh, in reference to the ascension language of Jesus Christ, uh, he says that when it is said that he's lifted up to the Father's right hand, it does not mean any particular place, but the power which the Father hath bestowed on Christ, that he may administer in his name the government of heaven and earth. So John Calvin rightfully points out in regard to the language of ascension, that he's far above every rule and, and kindred and nation and, and language, and he's above all authorities and powers and principalities. This is not to say that he is like of the, the Greek gods who are somewhere on Mount Olympus or somewhere in the clouds, but rather this is a language of dominion, that he has dominion over everything, the sphere of heaven and earth. All of it belongs to him. Remember what the Lord Jesus said? In Matthew 28, before his ascension to glory, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Christ has all authority. Not just on earth, but also in heaven. And because of that, he is able now to give us marching orders. And he tells us right after saying that he has all authority, he doesn't say go and be happy, go and be blessed, or, or, or go about your day. He says go and make disciples. The authoritative Christ has spoken. And he has given us what it is that he expects of us. He desires for his people, his disciples, his regenerated people to go and make disciples of all nations. Praise God. Christ has indeed ascended and God has demonstrated this power by Christ's resurrection and ascension. Ephesians 1.21 then goes on to give us more details as to the ascension of our Lord by saying this, that he is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Praise God. I want you to know this. If you're following along in the insert, uh, write this. Jesus is above all things in the earthly and spiritual realms. Jesus is above all things in the earthly and spiritual realm. That's the point of Paul when he brings up all of these different facets of authorities and powers where he again says he's above all rule. He's above every earthly rule. 
and every spiritual rule. He's above every authority in this world. That means that he is greater than any president, any prime minister, any mayor, any uh, congressperson, any senator, any dictator, any king or queen. He is over them. He has authority over them. Not only the earthly authorities, but also even the spiritual authorities. He has power not only over the things or the rulers of this world, but also of the rulers of the ages, which are the spiritual principalities and powers that we see Paul mention elsewhere in Scripture. He's above every dominion, which is to say that he's above every kingdom that can be named on this earth and every kingdom that is unseen to human eyes. He's above it all. He's also above every name that is named. Earlier today in our uh, Sunday school, in our evangelism course, we talked about the fear of man. Here is one good reason why you should not fear man. Because Christ has a greater name than all of them. Which is to say that his authority is greater than any name that can be named in this age and also in the age to come. As a good side note to that text. We see that Scripture consistently, especially in the New Testament narrative, refers only to two ages. This age and the age to come. Oftentimes people get convoluted and confused about, okay, well, uh, is, is the age to come going to be this thousand-year reign or is it going to be a uh, seven-year tribulation period or what's it going to be like? Can I tell you that eschatology is actually a lot more simpler than you think it to be. And Jesus made it perfectly Easy for us to comprehend in Matthew chapter 12 when he talked about two ages, this age and the age to come. And then Paul taking that same eschatology, that same stance as the Lord Jesus goes on to say that Jesus is a name that is above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. There's two ages that we are to be uh, worried about, preoccupied with. It's this one. And the age in which, while it is still day, we can work. That day, uh, the age in which we are living in. But also the age to come, which is when God makes all things new in Jesus Christ. When God makes all things reconciled to himself. And that is the age to come. The eternal state. And so, brothers and sisters, we know that Jesus is above all things in the earthly and spiritual realm. Since he has all authority. He has all authority. This Jesus in whom we have power is above all things as he is Lord over all. The same Lord you confess of your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead that brought you to a confession of salvation is the same Lord who is over everything in the earthly and spiritual realms. And this is a theme that is found throughout the narrative of the Bible. I want you to know this today, brothers and sisters. Be encouraged by the fact that Jesus is above all earthly powers. He's above all the nations, the kings and queens and their governments. He's above every corporation. He's above every household. He's above every marriage. He's above your finances. He is above your issues. He's above your addictions. He's above your problems. And he's above every single one of you. And everyone that you know, Jesus is above. He's Lord. He's Lord. And because of this, when the scripture says that Christ is above 
That is to say that he is at an elevated status and that he has authority over the things which are below him. This is kingly language. It's the same kingly language we see in Psalm 110. When the Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand. This is a, a, a decree of rulership. Until all his enemies are under his feet. Under his feet. Dominion. Jesus Christ indeed is today reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords. We're not waiting for some future enthronement of Jesus as some in the evangelical world would say. That we're, that we're waiting for Jesus to establish his kingdom in Jerusalem. Can I tell you this? That Jesus is now reigning in the true, new, and heavenly Jerusalem. He's enthroned today. He's king of kings and Lord of lords. Not just yesterday, not just today, but forever. He is Lord. We're not waiting for him to be enthroned. He is enthroned. He has dominion. He is the king. And because of this truth, we can rest assured. What is there to fear? Should we fear the day-to-day life and circumstances that we find ourselves in? Should we fear man? Should we fear a proclamation of the gospel? We should not fear. And time and time again, God gives us that decree, that word, do not fear, do not be afraid. And oftentimes it's accompanied with a, with, a, with, a, with a phrase of assurance, such as what the Lord Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 28. I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. Can I tell you that Jesus is with you in your circumstances today? Whether you're exalting in the greatness of life or you are down the dumps because of circumstances and, and life, Jesus is with you in whatever circumstance you may find yourself in today. He's with you. He loves you. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. This Jesus is of great love and compassion for his people. May you know that truth. May you know that compassion, that love that he has. But also know this, the authority of this risen Savior that we name and call. You see, Jesus is above the rulers, spiritual beings who rule. He's also above every authority. He's above every dominion. He's above every angel. He's above every demon. He's above every power. He is above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. And again, here we receive an eschatological promise, an insight, namely again that there's two ages, this one and the one to come, no mention of an intermediate 1,000-year reign, but instead our hopes are to be set on Christ, who is exalted now at the right hand of the Father and will be exalted forever, even into the eternal state, that, which is the age to come. This language of, of, of Christ having been exalted over all of these powers and principalities are things that we see also in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. We won't read that at the moment, but we also see it in John 3, 31, by the words of, of John the Baptist, where he says he will be above all, that he is above all. Jesus indeed is above all things, as John the Baptist proclaimed in John 3, 31. Jesus indeed is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And one of the interesting things about that statement that Jesus made of himself is that elsewhere in the book of Revelation, we are confronted with this imagery in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, one who, uh, uh, who, who, who is said of that he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. And then in verse 8 in Revelation chapter 1, we see the one, the one who is coming speaks and he says, 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. The Lord God Almighty. The word Almighty means having all authority. Jesus Christ is God Almighty. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. Who can question his right to rule? Who can bring a cause or an accusation against our risen Lord? Jesus stands above it all. Therefore, you should stand in him. What is the Lord accomplishing? Verse, chapter 1, verse 22 of Ephesians. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. I want you to write this if you're following along the teaching. God is subduing Christ's enemies by putting all things under his feet, making Jesus head over all things pertaining to the church. Some may take this verse again to mean that Jesus is uh, particularly uh, head of uh, or to the church, but more literally the text says that he is head over all things to or for the church. There is given to the church and for the church's benefit, we receive a head who is also head over all things, which I believe is the proper understanding of the text here in Ephesians chapter 1. Now, this is incredible news for you and I. This is incredible news for the church because the church has authority and power to overcome all opposition because her leader and head is the Lord of all. And all his enemies are under his feet. You know, the imagery uh, of Christ, uh, of, uh, the imagery of being under Christ's feet goes well with the imagery of Christ being above all things. Because if Jesus is the head, the body of Christ is the church. Not only are all things underneath Christ, but they're also underneath the church. The church plays a vital role, an eschatological role in the world to come. And it will be Christians who are going to be ruling and reigning the world to come. What a fabulous hope we have. Not that we will be just simply rulers who will rule with an iron fist, but rather we will rule with grace and truth, even the grace and truth that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us. We have a glorious hope for the future to imagine because Jesus Christ is subduing his enemies and they are underneath his feet. We see this imagery in Psalm chapter 8. We don't have the time to read into it now. But in Psalm chapter 8 verses 5 to 6 and Psalm 110, which we've referenced numerous times today, both gives us the imagery of creation being under the foot of man. Psalm chapter 8 is extremely clear on this, that God placed humans to have dominion over the earth. And that dominion will be realized in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in that the one who reigns, who is Lord over all, is forever, not simply declared, the one who is declared of power to be the Son of God, but he's also the Son of Adam. 
Jesus Christ is the Son of Man and the Son of God, both man and God in one person, forever exalted as the God-man. The cosmos will now and forever be ruled by a Son of Man, namely Jesus Christ our Lord, and we will be co-rulers with him in the world to come. Which is why Paul can then go on to say, closing his statement here in verse 23, he says, referring to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. In the last uh, part of today's teaching, the church is Christ's body with the purpose of being the fullness of him who fills all things. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, Paul writes this. Uh, he gives us a, a, a prayer to, again, another prayer for the Ephesian church. And he says in 3.19, To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God's desire for the church is to be filled with the fullness of God. Think of a cup as we see, like in Psalm 23, a cup that is overflowing with the blessing, the knowledge, and the fullness of God. And that cup doesn't just overflow and get spilled on the floor. It waters the world so that one day the whole world will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the seas cover this very world. And so we look forward to that day which all things will be under the full extent of Christ's rule and reign, and everything will be underneath his feet. And the church, being the fullness of him who fills all things, will have such a glorious hope and a future and a work to be done in this age and the age to come. In, the, in, the ancient, in ancient Rome, the emperor was known uh, as the head of the empire, and the empire was his body. This is language that we see in ancient Rome, similar to what Paul is now conveying here in the text. And what the language was meant to invoke was that the head uh, and, and the body are, that the, the, the body is an extension of the head. You know, what controls your ability to move, your ability to live and work and breathe? It's, it's the mind. It's it's the brain and the head being the, the center of, of, of the human experience. Uh, it controls and maneuvers things. It's an ex your hands and your feet are an extension of you. In the same way that the emperor was to be the head over Rome and the, the empire was an extension of him, the church is an extension of Christ. Christ being the one who rules and reigns and has control over it. Jesus is the unique one in that he is the one who is authoritative to lead the people of God. Again, the church is an extension of Christ in and to this fallen world. And of, and of our benefit and blessing, uh, Jesus serves as head over all things pertaining to the church and for his glory and praise. It is in the church that Jesus is reaching the nations and subduing his enemies. It is in the church that God is bringing forth this gospel message of eternal life and immortality. It is through the church that Jesus is overcoming the domains of darkness and making for himself one new people out of every nation, tribe, tongue, kindred, because Jesus is the authority, head, and Lord to which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, even unto the glory of God the Father. 
It is in Christ's fullness that the church finds its fullness. It is in Jesus' fullness that you will find your fullness. And if you have not come to know this Jesus, you have not come to receive this fullness that he gives, this life everlasting that he offers, today we stand as ambassadors of Christ, begging you, imploring you, that you come to know this Jesus, that you would, re- that you would re- turn from your sins, confess your sins onto him, and turn to him as the proper Lord and sovereign of all things. The Bible gives us this promise in Romans 10, verse 9, that if you believe in your heart, that if you confess of your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You can make that same confession today. And if you are a Christian this morning in need of strength, may you also confess that all of your strength and your needs are met in him. And he will supply you richly with the power that he gives, with the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, will be in you, alive in you, and working in you, that which is pleasing to his sight. To God be the glory. Let me pray. Lord God Almighty, to you belongs all the praise, the glory, the adoration, the strength, the power, the might. It is all yours. And Lord, we come confessing this morning your authority over your people, the authority that you hold over the nations, and that you are working all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. Lord, we so look forward to that day which every knee will bow and every tongue confess, even unto the glory of God the Father. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen.